Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22 say this. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What's, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for this day, Lord, that we, we have this opportunity, Lord, to worship you, God, with everything that we have. So God, I just pray, Lord, that as we've been praising in song and in worship, Lord, that we would continue, God, to worship you now as we open up your word. Father, that, that we would open our hearts and our ears to you, God, that we would be ready to see you and know you. God, and I pray, Father, that you would just speak through Pastor Chris, God, that you would open, God, this word up to us, God, so that we could see you in ways that we haven't before. God, we thank you. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you for your love. We give you this time, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. And thank you guys for braving the cold. We're such Texans, aren't we? It's like, man, we had to walk all the way to our car and get turn the heater on, right? And we even have cars now that turn the heater on for us before we get out there. But anyway, uh, man, I, I had this weird random thought this morning. I said, when I started driving to the church this morning, I was like, I'm so glad I'm not a deer. I don't know why there's this deer frolicking through my neighborhood. I'm like, man, so thankful for the blessings of like a building and, and heating and, and blankets, right? Tracy, like, brought her own blanket for the front row, right? So she starts nodding off, all right? Uh, but, man, um, man, so blessed to be in the house of God, right, and to sing praises to him. And, and as we jump in today, we're going to talk about some things that Jesus really, he presses into things that are not going to be popular in our culture. I'm going to let you know now, right? Um, I'm not going to give you a, a, a warning. I'm just going to tell you that God's word is truth, and he's going to bring it this morning, okay? Um, but this week, I was listening to a book called Undefendable. It's one of the books that I kind of listened to to start my year um, many different times. And, and so this book um, just had a story in it that I thought was fascinating. I wanted to read it to you um, this morning. So it's a, it's a parable, kind of a story, by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken, all right? And he was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and um, they used to write letters back and forth. But he tells a parable in a book called um, Severe Mercy that I think is just Profound, right? And we're going to dive into the story. It's kind of an, an algorithm, but it's actually a true story about two of his dogs, okay? So I'll listen to the story and then we'll kind of break it down. It said, These two dogs lived in the country and they had a pretty much an ideal country life with beautiful rolling hills, lots of sunshine and adventure, and also a good master who was kind to them and loved them. It was the kind of life you'd love to have if you were a dog. Gypsy was an older dog, and the younger dog, Gypsy's daughter, was named Flurry. Every day about the same time, their master called them in for dinner, and they knew to obey meant that they had to respond as soon as they heard the master's call. 
One day, at the exact moment that the master called them for dinner, a rabbit ran across Gypsy's path. Suddenly, she felt a strange sensation. She wanted to ignore her master and chase after the rabbit. She was tempted, but yet she yielded to what she knew was right and went to dinner immediately, and as she was trained to do. But the next day, it happened again, and this time, she gave in to the temptation. She heard her master's voice, but she decided she just wanted to chase that rabbit right now. When she finally came to dinner, she came with her tail between her legs. She felt a new sensation, shame. She knew she had done wrong. She didn't want to do it again, but she did it again and again until it became easier for her. Soon, Flurry was able to run free while Gypsy, because of her disobedience, was now on a pin. Her master was heartbroken. He loved her, and he, but he knew he couldn't trust her anymore with so much freedom. One day, the master loaded his dogs into the car to take them for a walk in the woods. Gypsy and Flory loved the smells of the woods, and when they arrived, Gypsy, now used to disobeying, took off before the master could put his leash on her. She was free, she thought. She ran and ran and ran into the woods free. Her master called her name desperately, Gypsy, 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 with hopes that she would return to him. But she didn't. The master and Flurry searched for hours, but to Gypsy, his voice became more and more distant until she couldn't hear him anymore. She was excited at first, but as soon as she noticed the sun going down, it began to get cold. Meanwhile, Gypsy's owner, who loved her, cried and searched. And as he put Flurry back into the car, he drove home. Now, while Flurry did miss Gypsy, she resumed a wonderful life, freely romping through the meadow and always responding to her owner. Gypsy lived a life in the woods for the rest of her life. Her fur became matted and she was lost and alone. She missed her master's voice and the way he took care of her. Now she had to take care of herself. She eventually had some puppies and told them about the master and how good he was, but they only knew some stories. They didn't know him. The puppies grew, and they told their own puppies about the master, but by then, no one really knew him at all. And it's such a tragic story, right? The promise of freedom, a look out into the meadow, but it's deceiving, it's fleeting, and a couple, like, just as I was reading this this week, as it hit me, a couple of just thoughts came to my mind, right? The first one is, if we're not careful, the Father's voice will become more and more distant as we chase after our sin. Oh, isn't that so true? As we chase our sin, as we give in to this desire to break free and to live our own life, independent of him, his voice gets quieter and quieter. If we're not careful, stuff can get in the way, and we forget how good the Father is. If we're not careful, we'll seek freedom from the very obedience that is evidence of our love for the Father. What does Jesus say to us? If you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey me. Even if you don't understand, why is he calling me right now? Why is he saying sit, sit, wait, sit, wait? Why is he saying wait? Why is he saying sit? I don't understand. Oh, well, there, there's a car. There's danger. There's reasons. If we're not careful, our kids will not know God because we no longer want to live underneath of his commandments. How many generations will it take that if we aren't willing to obey, 
then our kids no longer understand the love of the Father. And their kids no longer understand the love of the Father. They don't even know him. And this was stark to me this week. It hit me that we chase after so many things that we think will set us free. We think they promise this fleeting moment of freedom. And yet, it causes us to be alone, isolated, without the love of the Father. You see, obedience allows us to walk in the true love of the Lord. Are we ready to obey? Are we ready to obey even hard truths that the Lord puts before us? I know it's not a very popular word in today's world, right? Obey. Don't worry. We're going to say the word submit today, right? We're going to have all kinds of words that are going to trigger us, right? But the idea is this. If God says follow him, are we going to follow him? Step in step with him. Or are we just going to follow him when we want to and try to run in the woods for the rest of the time until eventually we can't hear his voice anymore and eventually can't find the way. So we're jumping in to Matthew chapter 19, right? But before we do, I want to read a verse that I think, or a set of verses I think sums up everything that's going to happen in our sermon today, okay? This is in Ephesians chapter 4. Without even realizing it, through the book of Matthew, we've read almost every verse in Ephesians as we go through. So we could call this the Ephesians series um, as we go. But this is verse 17. I think it sums up this idea that we're going to be going through today. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Can you remember that phrase for me? Because of their hardness of heart, they have become callous. Whew. Callous. Oh, I pray that our hearts are not callous. I pray that we don't have hardness of heart where that person shows up and you're like, ooh. Have you noticed the hardness of heart? Like that one person could say one thing and you're like, oh, that's so rude. And another person says the same thing. You're like, oh, thanks for being the truth of God in my life, right? It's like, I don't know. If we just have this hardness of heart. We just have this hardness where we, just, we have trouble letting go of it. This week I've been getting pierced in the heart. Man, maybe you haven't forgiven that person. Hey, maybe you still got a little hardness in that area because every time I try to puncture you there, you just deflects off. You're becoming callous. Here's the thing about being callous. You can't feel things as well. We become numb. And all of a sudden, when we're numb, we lose that tenderness that God has for us. Due to their hardness of heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. I love it. Exclamation point, right? He's like, they give themselves up, but not you. You know better. You, you've, you've heard the way of Christ. You know the way of Christ. Don't give in to the sensuality. Don't give in to the greed. Don't give in to the hardness of heart because you've gotten a new heart with Christ. He said, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Woo! That's so, I could preach, right? The truth is in Jesus. Do we believe it? The truth is in Jesus. What he says is truth because he's going to say some challenging things today. Things that are countercultural to the world out there. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If you want true eternal life, it comes to the truth which is found in Jesus Christ. He is the way. We follow him. We're going to see all these words in our story today. They're so beautiful. 
Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And it's such a beautiful picture sitting up front. Baptism. The old gone, the new has come. This morning, Abigail Horn, eight years old, in front of 200 people, like, yes, I believe in Jesus, right? In third service, Callie Harper's going to be up here. Are you going to believe? She, she's the cutest thing ever. She's like, I want to be baptized. Like, baptized? Of course we'll baptize you. That would be awesome, right? And she just, she just wants to tell everybody about her love for Jesus. Are we that bold? Come to me like the little children. Right? They're in front. They're not shy. 200 people, they're like, yes, Jesus. They'll cry, cry it out. They'll send it out. Right? We've got to be that bold as well. So this is the intro. Are we ready to listen to the Lord's voice? Are we ready to obey? Obedience in the Lord. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, what sayings? He's been talking about the unforgiving servant. He'd been talking about, remember, childlike faith and real accountability and what radical forgiveness looks like, that, that because of the debt God has forgiven us of, we forgive others, right? That's the, that's the sayings that he's just taught about. He went away from Galilee, entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So let me give you a picture. Jesus is on the move, okay? Here's a map um, that shows you an idea. If you remember, up in Galilee, this is where Capernaum was. Right, Capernaum, very top of the map, that's where the, the base camp of Jesus was. If you remember going no, further north, Caesarea Philippi, Mount Hermon, Transfiguration, all those sort of things. Right? But now Jesus is on the move. He's been telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're like, no, 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 they're going to kill you. I'm going to Jerusalem. Right? I, my eyes are set upon Jerusalem. So he's beginning this journey down, right? He gets rejected. He can't go through Samaria. And so he's going to go right down this valley, right? Down the River Jordan, all the way down, cross it, and go through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. So we're joining him on that journey. I set on Jerusalem. I set upon the cross. And this is the story that happens right there. And the Pharisees came up to him. Oh, those pesky Pharisees. They're back. They just haven't learned yet, have they? They just keep questioning Every time Jesus heals and he has these incredible teachings, the Pharisees come in. He's too popular. They're saying things like, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the prophet. And they begin, the Pharisees are losing their grip on the people, and now they got to disprove them, right? That's not a good motivation for going to someone. Like, you have a desire to just tear them down. The idea, remember we talked about church discipline, is to win back your brother, to build them up. When you're going to have that hard conversation, you do it in order to help us grow in fellowship together, not to try to destroy someone. Pharisees are going to try to destroy Jesus again. They're going to try to test him again. It always goes bad for them, but they're persistent, okay? So the Pharisees came up to him and, to, and tested him by asking this, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. Now, I hope you get into path groups this week as we dive into this um, two different schools of, of Halil and all these different people I'm in there. But here's the idea. Is it lawful for me to just divorce my wife for any reason? Any reason. I go home from church today. I'm hungry. She burnt the toast. I'm out. Babe, I'm out, right? Or one day I wake up and I turn over and she's not as pretty as I thought she was. Never has happened, by the way, but this is hypothetical, okay? So I turn over and she's not as pretty I'm out. Any reason is it okay for me to get a divorce? That's the question that's planted before Jesus, right? What do you say about this? 
for any reason. Are you in this school of thought, this school of thought, where are you at? Jesus. And here's Jesus' answer. Remember, so many times Jesus answers with a question. Here he's going to take him back to the scripture. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So here's the, here's the question. Go back to the beginning. God created them, male and female. Marriage is designed to be a covenant relationship between a man, a woman, and God. That's the definition that we get here from Genesis on, is that this is the institution that God has put in place for a man and a woman and God to become one. Marriage is about oneness, unity together. That's the purpose of marriage. Now, please listen. Sometimes we have a different idea about marriage. We think that marriage is about making us happy. Marriage is not about making us happy. Marriage is about making us one. It's about turning us into the more and more like in likeness of Jesus. And guys, I'm going to tell you, my wife is pretty good at making me holy. She's pretty willing to call me out when I fall short of the glory of God, which is often, right? Do I always love that? No. Not always, but in the truth is that her job is not to make me happy. My joy should be complete in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That the purpose of our marriage is oneness, unity. He goes on and explains it even more. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So it's not only about oneness, it's designed to be this permanent earthly relationship. The the design of it is that this is a lasting relationship that's supposed to be a picture of what Jesus is to the church. He'll never leave and he'll never forsake. This oneness is the key to that. Where do we get this idea of Jesus and the church and marriage? We get it from Ephesians chapter 5. Here we are, back in Ephesians, right? Great book. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Getting hot in here? That word, right? Guys, if you look at one verse earlier, we should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So let's not get crazy. Our, our role, this, is, this word submission, we don't have to be scared of this word, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and it is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their, in everything, to their husbands. The picture is, as we, as followers of Christ, submit to Jesus, this is the same picture we should see in marriage. But husbands, it calls us to an even higher standard. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, are you giving up yourself for your bride? Are you giving away your time, your things in order to serve love, sacrifice for your wife. So wives, submit to a man that's willing to sacrifice everything for you. You see the beautiful picture that's there? Just as we submit to Christ who gave everything for us to die upon the cross. We as husbands are supposed to be that picture of Christ to the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without 
blemish. So these, these three words just keep coming to the forefront. Submission, love, right? This idea of sanctification in the word, that these are three pillars of what your marriage should be all about. That there's, a, that there's a willing submission, there's a willing love and sacrifice, and the word of God is present in your relationship. And guys, guess what? That's the same components that you need for your walk with Jesus Christ. That if I'm walking with Christ, he says, follow me, I can't walk the other way. That's not submitting to his will. If God says, I want you to do this, I, I listen and I obey. Just like the dogs may not understand why they just obeyed their master, we are called to obey and submit to the Lord, sanctifying ourselves in the word. These are the same components that are there. Maybe you remember this picture. We put it up several months ago about this picture of just as God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are this beautiful picture of love and unity and submission inside of it where Jesus said things like, I only do what I see my Father doing. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of Christ, but yet submits to the will of the Father. This is the perfect picture of what marriage is. That when a husband is following the Lord, and he's saying, hey, come on and follow me, that his wife and his family will be able to follow them and become more and more like Jesus. That, that's the picture that we have of marriage. But we have a world today who doesn't like that picture. We have a world here with these Pharisees. They don't like this picture because, look, at they push back on Jesus, right? He's given them a definition, covenant relationship, oneness. And they said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. So here's the challenge. Why did Moses, Deuteronomy 24, give them permission? If a wife loses favor, you can send her away with a certificate of divorce. Why? That's the question. Here's the challenge, and here's Jesus' answer to them. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. It's not me, it's you. That's basically what he's saying, okay? Like, listen, my design, the design of marriage equals oneness. But our hardness of heart gives us an excuse for division. You see, when our heart is hard, we begin to divide. We begin to pick teams. We begin to be like, no, no, I don't want this side. I want this side. Oh, no, these, these, these guys are pretty over here. I want this side. All of a sudden, we start making choices based upon our hardness of heart. And guys, what happens when the ground gets really hard in the summer? It cracks. And here's this fissure running through the playing field that you step in and you hurt, you hurt yourself, right? See, hardness invites a breaking, right? When in oneness invites unity, is your marriage a picture of unity? Is our church a picture of unity? Or can we just get out as soon as possible? See, this is actually true about church, isn't it? Like if things in the church don't go exactly according to plan, do you press into the oneness of that and work through that? Or, guys, there's 40 churches in a five-mile radius of this building. They're, they're everywhere, and we need more in our community as well. But see, oneness invites us. We're going to work together. We're going to be iron sharpening iron in order to get to the purpose that God has for same is true in our marriage. Are we willing to work together and, and create unity in our marriage? Then he says this, and I say to you, in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus gives this one allowance, right? Saying in the case of sexual morality, right, he gives them an allowance. He's giving, he's giving it straight out for him, right? Like it's designed for oneness, but when that oneness has been broken in this particular way, 
he allows them because of their hardness of heart for divorce. Then he says this, and the disciples ask an interesting question. If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? (laughs) So here's the disciples, right? And they're looking at this situation like, should we even jump into this thing? Like, should we get married? Like, what's your advice in this, right? And so Jesus is going to give them what he even calls a hard teaching. Look what he says in verse 11. He said, not everyone can receive this same, but only those to whom it is given. He's going to begin. So they're asking, should we remain single? And so he's going to teach them on this idea, the gift of celibacy or the gift of singleness in verse 12. Look what it says. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Now, one of the things we do on Sunday morning is we put out warnings, right? Alerts. So you need to be alert to, to this verse. Verse 12 is a verse that a lot of people in our world today will take and twist it in order to make them feel better about the things that they want their itching ears to hear. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. People in the world out there are going to say a eunuch is somewhat is about sexual orientation. A eunuch is about transgenderism, and they're going to take that definition. That is not the definition historically, of eunuch, okay? We'll get to that in a second. But people in the world are going to take this verse and they're going to twist it and say, see, they were born that way. See, this is a choice that you get a chance to make and this choice is a good choice. And they're going to redefine this word to mean something that it doesn't mean. When you go back and you look at the word eunuch, it's used like 45 times in the Old Testament. So it's not an uncommon word. You're going to see that this word has two primary meanings. One is someone that has chosen singleness. They've chosen not to get married. One is they didn't get to choose, right? These are um, people that are in the courts, right? Remember in Acts chapter 8, right? Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch that is there, and they have been forcibly had things removed so that they couldn't get married and so that they couldn't do those things, okay? Um, that, that, was, that was what eunuch meant, and that's why these men would work in the courts and work with the women and those sort of things, but they had been um, removed, right? They had things, certain things taken care of so that they couldn't get married or abuse the women in that particular way. This is the classic definition of eunuch, but yet the world out there is going to try to twist it because, see, some people... They were born in a way that weren't going to be able, either through the gift of singleness or through their own things that are happening in life, that they weren't going to be able to get married. Others were taken, and that was done to them because of war, because of circumstances. And others made a choice. Like, God has called me to go on a missionary to the dark place. It's better for me to not have a family that's left behind in order to fulfill this call that God has for my life. This is actually not about sexual orientation at all. It's about abstaining from sexual things for the glory of God. So don't let the world out there twist this verse. You just need to be aware. Right? If you go home and you search it, you'll be able to find all kinds of articles and, and people trying to make convincing arguments about these things. And, and some people, they, they're good at leading people astray. But the truth is, when you get into the definitions, this is what it says. By the way, definitions are important, aren't they? How you define words are important because when you redefine words, people read them back into history. So be careful. Marriage, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman and God, right? This idea of eunuch was something that, that chose singleness or it was chosen for them. Okay, let's go to verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. The disciples. 
These, all these people are cracking me up, right? Didn't he just teach us about childlike faith? Weren't they just like, who's the goat? Who's the greatest? And Jesus is like, hey, little child, come over here to me. You need to be like this child, right? And the disciples get caught up in life again, too busy, and they begin to rebuke the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. By the way, that's the reason we're doing baptisms inside today, right? Because we had to break through the ice to do them outside, right? The girls were still in. The girls were like, we'll do it. We're like, oh, no, right? <laughs> we'll bring it inside today and we'll make it happen, right? But we want to let the children come to me. We want to invite the kids to come in and be a part of what God is doing. And when someone wants to say, I believe in Jesus, and we're all about that, okay? Let's look at this next story. And behold... A man came up to him and said, so this is the same kind of scenario. Jesus got done, done blessing the children. The Pharisees have just left because of their challenge. And up runs a man who came to him saying, teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? Now we know from Luke 18, verse 18, that this was not just a young man, but he was also a ruler. So sometimes we call this person the rich young ruler. Okay, you've probably heard this story before, right? So here comes this rich young man fall down before Jesus, and he asks him this question, what, what deed must I do to have eternal life? So then Jesus answers him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Who's the only one who is good? God, right? In fact, when you look at Mark 10, verse 18, he literally says, only God is good. In other words, here's the question Jesus is posing. If you're calling me good, are you calling me God? If you're calling me good, are you recognizing that I have the authority to give eternal life? And then, I just love the way Jesus does things. Right? Because think about this. If this person came up into a church situation, would you want this guy in your church? He's young. He's rich. He's got, like, power in the community. He's got all these things. And Jesus is going to press on that hardness of his heart. He's going to push into that one area that's a little tender. Like, no, no, no. Don't push in there. Look what Jesus does. He, he begins to, to peel away the layers. He says, um, if you would in your life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, right? Think about the Ten Commandments. That's like number six, right? You shall not commit adultery. That's number seven. Do not steal. That's number eight. You shall not bear false witness. That's number nine. Honor your father and mother. That's number five. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, if Jesus said, hey, here's what I want you to follow, did you pass the test? Anybody murdered anyone this week? Now remember, Jesus chapter 5, if you hate someone, hardness of heart, if you hate someone, that's the same as murdering, right? Or how about adultery? Have you kept your eyes pure this week? Because if you let your eyes lust, it's the same, right? This picture, Jesus keeps unfolding these layers. It's not just about what you do, it's how you think. It's where your heart is. But this man, he misses it, right? He says, and the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Man, that is bold. Would you guys say this week you have loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you loved your neighbor the same way? Have you thought about your neighbor more than you've thought about yourself this week? Have you done more for your neighbor than you have for yourself this week? Like, I would say probably not. I mean, just being honest. So here, but here he is. And so Jesus presses him in that. And he said, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. So you say you're perfect. Take all your riches 
and do love your neighbor as yourself. Take all your riches, send them away, and then come and follow me. Whew. And the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In fact, Luke says it this way. He went away sorrowful because he was extremely rich. He had a lot to lose. Is all of that worth following Jesus? Is, is losing everything, everything around you, worth it to follow Jesus? Think back to Peter and James and John on the boat. Remember, he said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What did they do? They threw down their nets and followed him, right? They left it all behind, left their job while they were cleaning the nets, and they were gone, never to look back. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Because, see, riches get in the way, don't they? What, what do riches do? They make us feel independent. Well, we don't really need God. We can provide for ourselves. Oh, we don't really need God. We have everything we need until that everything we need is gone, right? Do we really trust in God or we trust in our things? And Jesus said to the disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Whew, anybody remember Shazam? A few years ago at Night in Bethlehem, we had a camel named Shazam, okay? Her name was Shazam. She was, she was large. I'm, I said a large lady, but she's a large lady camel, okay? And she was there at Night in Bethlehem, and she was awesome, right? She was super cool, but if Shazam wanted to go somewhere, Shazam went somewhere, right? Because you had a little leash on her, but if you tried to stop her, it wasn't going to stop her, right? She was pretty obedient, right? But a couple times, she ran into people in the line, like, I'm so sorry, she's just a camel, right? And... and can you imagine Shazam going through the eye of a needle? Is that possible? Any, what about a stuffed animal of a camel through the eye of a needle? Possible? Any form of a camel? No, it's impossible. And the disciples understand that. And they said, and when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? This guy is rich. He's blessed by God. That's what they thought. This guy is powerful. He's been put in position by God. He has a bright future. If he can't be saved, who can be saved? And what does Jesus answer them? He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Man, I, I don't know what circumstances you're in. Maybe you're, you're, you were trusted in your riches and they won't work anymore. With God, all things are possible. This is what it means for us to truly have a relationship with Christ, is that we can't do it on our own. We can't do enough good things to get to heaven. Ultimately, we have to trust in him. And then Peter replied, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? You got to love Peter. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, in the new world, this the word for new world is in the regeneration, right? In, in this new world, when the Son of Man was, is seated in his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see this picture in Revelation 4. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
But many who are first will be last, and the last first. That when we look at the people in the world, we don't judge them by the outside. We judge them by their heart. Is their heart for the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that you help us to not put our hope in riches or to put our hope in anything outside of the love of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, guide us and teach us as we walk in this world. Help us to walk in your word and in your truth, Lord, to trust in you. Even though the world out there will try to lead us astray and pull us away from other things, Lord, I pray that you'll give us um, a steadfastness and endurance. Lord, we love you so much. Give us an amazing week. Protect us, keep us safe from the cold, and help us to walk in your ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, before you make your way out, I just have a couple of announcements for you. This week, path groups begin meeting. If you have not found a path group to get plugged into, I just want to encourage you to go online, and you can see the different groups that meet throughout the week, and you can get signed up for that. Also, if you have an interest in learning more about our church family, we have a Discover class taking place on the 28th, and it begins during third service, and it takes uh, you all the way through about 1.30. Lunch is provided, and child care is also provided. So if you're interested in coming to Discover class, fill out the communication card. Let us know how many children you have, and we will uh, prepare accordingly. And you can drop that information off in one of the offering boxes in the back. So here is your verse to take with you, Romans 6, 4. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God bless you. Have a great day.